Silent night, indeed. It was a silent night 2,000 years ago. It was silent in that the Lord came in a covert operation. And that's not the way I would have drawn it up. I think if I had my way, I would have had Jesus born in a palace with trumpet blast, with a, a super strength. I would have made Jesus a Superman type figure, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the most well trained, the best teachers. I would have had Jesus reclaim a lost world through power. People would have come to him out of fear, love, but great fear. That's probably the way I would have drawn it up if I were to have God among us. But that's not the way God did it. In God's infinite wisdom, He invaded the world under the cover of darkness on a silent night. Emmanuel was born in the most humble of circumstances, born to a no-name teenage girl, betrothed to a no-name man from a no-name town. And aside from that thunderous announcement to the shepherds who were the lowest of the low, these are people who actually smelled like their sheep. Aside from that announcement, it was a very silent arrival. And that's really the way Jesus lived. Jesus was under the radar, raised as the son of a carpenter, truly taking residence among the people. And this theme runs from the very beginning to the end, from his birth to his death, a criminal's death on a cross. And yet it is his birth, and especially this time of the year, that really touches our hearts. The, the songs are in the air, the symbols, the, the family gathering. This is a time of great joy, even for those who are experiencing great trial. The story of the birth of Jesus is a story of profound hope, Hope that is a gift to the world. It is hope because with the birth of Jesus, we have a second chance. We have a new humanity that has arrived. We have a new creation. And no one speaks more about this new humanity than the Apostle Paul. And this morning, we're going to camp out in his letter to the Galatians. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 4, we'll be there here in a moment. Uh, Galatians is pretty easy to find. If you hit First and Second Corinthians in the New Testament, Galatians is right after it. And Galatians 4 offers us a Christmas passage, but it's not a standalone passage. In fact, Galatians 4 comes in the middle of a very complicated argument. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, I think the forest is pretty easy to decipher. The, the message of Galatians is pretty straightforward, but the trees, my goodness, the trees, especially in those two chapters, I wrestle in trying to follow what Paul is doing and how he's making these complicated arguments. So we're going to pick up right in the middle of this, but I think we'll be able to hear a word this morning. So if you would, let's hear the word of God from Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, 
though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a book at our house that we read periodically with the children. And it is a children's book, although it does deal with some adult themes. It deals with the themes of grief and loss, but also the power of family and friends. And it's a story called The Rag Coat. And it's a story that's set in the Appalachian Mountains, probably about the same time that Laura Ingalls was running around the prairie. It's the story of a young girl named Minna, who was very close to her father. When she was little, he would carry her around in a burlap feeding sack to keep her warm. They were very poor. He worked in the coal mines, and he became very sick. He had black lung disease. So Minna, when she becomes of age, she forgoes going to school in order to help her mother make ends meet. She works to help her mother with the quilting and the sewing and taking care of her little sister. And one day, her father, who was now very sick, encourages her to go to school. Minna, you need to go to school. And she tells him, I can't. I have to take care of you. I have to, I have to help my mother take care of my little sister. And besides that, I don't have a coat. We can't afford one. And when the winter months come, I know that I won't be able to go to school. That walk will be too long and too cold to make without a coat. Well, soon after that conversation, her father dies. And then her mother takes on the mantle and encourages Minna to go to school. It's time now to go to school. And Minna gives the same excuses. I can't go. I don't have a coat. We can't afford one. Well, the ladies at church hear this. They catch wind of this and... They decide they're going to help. And so they gather all the scraps from the blankets and the clothes around their house and they arrive at Minna's house. And they take that burlap sack that her father used to carry her around in and they use that for the lining and then they sew together this patchwork coat with all these different patches. A rag coat. And Minna is so proud of it. And so when the fall comes, it's still warm. She decides to go to school, but it's not easy for her. She is teased because as an eight-year-old, she is stuck on the same reading level as the little children. And they make fun of her clothes. And they call her dumb. And they pull her hair. She is an outsider 
And then the cold months come, and she's very excited to show off her new rag coat. And so she arrives at school, and when the kids see the coat, they pounce. And they call her rag coat. And they mercilessly tease her for how dirty and dingy she looks and how raggedy her patchwork coat looks. And of course, she runs away from the school in tears. She swears she will never go back. Well, that's a wonderful Christmas story, isn't it? A story of rejection. The poor girl with a patchwork coat, already being ostracized, is now further maligned by her friends, labeled an outsider. And perhaps that's a good reminder to us during this Christmas season and really every season, to be on the lookout for the minas in our midst, to be on the lookout for the brokenhearted, and the isolated, the ragcoats among us, and to do what we can to bring them into the fold. But another reason why I brought out this story of minna is because something similar is happening in Galatians, especially to the Gentile Christians. They're being rejected. They're being made to feel less than. They're being told that they're not legitimate. They're not part of the family. They are outsiders. Well, we're going to have to back up a bit and look at what Paul is dealing with, not only in this letter, but really throughout his ministry. In Galatians, Paul is speaking directly to the number one crisis among the earliest believers, and it goes to this question. How do you get Jews and Gentiles around the same table. For centuries, Jews and Gentiles had lived separate lives. The Jews were the chosen people of God, and they were called to set themselves apart. They were called to holy living. They were commanded to steer clear of the pagans and their idolatry and their immorality. Now, there was a mission in that. God had called them to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were to to have this almost an intercessory role with the nations. But over time and through the centuries of hard lessons, their separateness had become an end unto itself. The Jews had all the markers of separation. They had the law of Moses. They had the temple. They had the city. They had the sacrificial system. They had the covenant marker of circumcision. They had the strong, tight-knit community. They had the prophets. They had all of the promises. The Jews were the children of promises that go all the way back to Abraham. Now, there were Gentiles who could become Jews, what are called proselytes. There were Jews who could come and worship outside of the temple in the Gentile courts. And if you recall... That's where the money changers were that Jesus drove out. They were in the Gentile court. The Jews were not being good witnesses to the rest of the world. They weren't fulfilling their role. And Jesus says, you have made this place, this place of prayer, you've made it a den of robbers. There were Gentiles who were friends of Jews, what we call God-fearers. They believed in the one true and living God, although they didn't follow and adhere to all of the Jewish commandments. But 
All in all, there was this major dividing line between Jews and Gentiles. And then the Messiah comes. And against all expectations, shatters that dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. So we think about the most famous passage in the New Testament, John 3, 16. For God so loved Israel that He gave His only, one, only begotten Son. No, it's much more cosmic than that. It's much more worldwide. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is the mission of the Messiah, to reclaim a lost humanity. And that was good news to both Jews and Gentiles. And no one was a greater champion of this than the Apostle Paul, who was given the mission to go and preach and proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. And I think it's hard for us, or at least it's hard for me, to fully appreciate what a monumental shift this must have been to the Jewish Christians, to the Jewish people. For centuries, they are trained to separate themselves from the Gentiles, and then all of a sudden, they're eating at the same table. And their former enemies, they're having to call brother and sister. This was not easy for them. So what's happening in Galatia, in the background of this passage, is that there's a group of Jewish Christians, a small group of Christians, who had not bought into the good news. Well, They've bought into the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, but they hadn't bought into the implications of this good news, that Gentiles had been incorporated into the family. Well, at least they didn't believe they could be incorporated unless they jumped through a few hoops. And so they're telling these Gentile Christians, these pagans, you can't be part of the family until you obey the law of Moses, until you are circumcised, until you become, in essence, Jews first, and then you can become part of the people of God. So these Gentile Christians who clearly had the Spirit of God within them, they had been baptized, they had turned away from their idols, they had given their allegiance to Jesus as Lord. All of a sudden, they're having doubts about their place in the family. They're being persecuted and maligned. They're being rejected they're being kicked out of the schoolhouse for being outsiders. Well, this morning, before we read what Paul says about this situation in this passage, it might be good for us to pause and to find ourselves in this letter and to identify maybe the group that we relate with this morning. Maybe there are some here this morning who find themselves in the role of this small group of Jewish Christians who are shunning others arbitrarily, misunderstanding the gospel. Or maybe there are those here this morning who come here who can identify with these Gentile Christians, these Gentile believers. You're asking yourselves the, the question that we're forced to ask whenever we read Galatians. Do we have any doubt about our sense of belonging in the family of God? Is there anything that's causing us to doubt? Well, that may sound like a, a strange question to some, but the evil one has a way of whispering in our ears. The evil one whispers and sows those seeds of doubt. The evil one whispers 
and sows those seeds of making us feel less than. The evil one says, look around. Look around at all these people who have everything together. Everyone in their Sunday best. What about you? You don't belong among these people. Can we hear those whispers this morning? Is there something that's causing doubt about your sense of belonging here? Is it something in your background? Is it something about your social status out there? Is it a specific sin or temptation that's causing you to feel less than, as if you are isolated and you're the only one that struggles with sin and temptation? What is it this morning that's casting doubt in your mind about your legitimacy as part of the family of God? Let's think about that for a minute. So we read periodically at our house this story of the rag coat. It's a story of loss and rejection. But it's also a story that gives us a, a beautiful portrait of what the gospel is all about and what this season is all about. So we left the story with Minna being rejected and made fun of and persecuted by her friends at school, her so-called friends at school, but that's not where the story ends. Uh, Minna runs off by herself, but then she, she stops and thinks about it, and she says, no, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to that school, and I'm, I'm going to tell them about this coat. Because this was no ordinary coat. This was a coat of stories. And she overheard those stories. As, as the women of the church came with those patches and sewed that coat together, they told the stories of these patches. And so she went to one of the boys at the schoolhouse and said, you see this patch right here? You see this rag? This is part of your blanket that was used to wrap you whenever you were born. And you were born early. And the doctor said, you were not going to survive. This is your rag. She went up to a girl and, and pointed to a piece of a patch and said, you see this right here? This is a part of the jacket that you wore. This is part of the jacket that you used to, to nurse a sick calf back to, to health. Do you remember that? In the rag coat, there was a piece of a dress that one girl's aunt from New York had made for her. There was a scrap of some pants that a boy used to wear whenever he would go fishing with his grandpa. You see, this rag coat was more than just a coat. It was a coat of memory. It was a coat of story. It was a coat of family. And the children were finding their stories within this coat. 
And instead of making fun of her, the children were asking to touch the different rags and to hear those stories once again. And I hear the story of the rag coat in Galatians. You have these Gentile Christians who were being rejected by a group of Jewish Christians who told them they did not belong. And Paul points both of these groups to a rag coat. And he shows them. He says, see here? Here's your rag. Here's your story. You have been woven into the family. You're part of the family. Not on the basis of following the law of Moses and circumcision. Hey, that had its place. But you are part of the family on the basis of promise. On the basis of faith on the basis of the Spirit that resides in all of us, knitting us together in love. That's what Galatians is all about in this letter. Paul draws the story of these Gentile Christians into Israel's story, a story of slavery and exile, but also a story of redemption, and ultimately a story of adoption. When the fullness of time had come, Paul says... God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Just before this sermon passage, he says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you're hearing the whispers of the evil one telling you you do not belong among these people, I would invite you to gaze intently into the rag coat and to remember that in Christ we have been woven into the family and we listen to a different voice. We listen to the voice of truth we listen to the voice of the Spirit inside of us whispering, I would say even shouting, Abba, Father, you are part of the family. We have an invitation this morning. If you would like to respond to the good news of the Messiah who was born a woman, who was born to redeem captive Israel, but also a captive world, a world in slavery to sin, we have been released, we have been redeemed through the cross, through the empty tomb. What a powerful message to be grafted in, to be part of this adoption story of God the Father through His Son and through His Spirit. If you'd like to respond to this good news this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.